Welcome to My Friend Has Never Listened to a Podcast. I'm Ollie, and I'm a business psychologist. And I'm James, and I'm a cultural transformation specialist. And together, we're your hosts of My Friend Has Never Listened to a Podcast. In today's episode, Ollie takes us to downtown Chicago, where we look at the motive behind putting a 13-year-old boy in jail. I like that, James. (laughs) Good segue. Motive is a podcast produced by WBEZ Chicago and is hosted and produced by Frank Main. It details the shocking story of Thaddeus Hermanes, also known as TJ. He was accused of murder when he was 13 years old and imprisoned for life at age 15. He was then released when he was 30. Because it was found to be a wrongful incarceration, he was paid $25 million by the state, which TJ then used to flip other gang members to join the Simon City Royals, which is a huge no-no in the gang world. TJ then spent the next five years of his life wasting his money and ended up going back to prison for shooting a gentleman for no reason, who he came across whilst he was driving around in a convertible with classic music booming out of the car and shot a gentleman by the name of Eric and filmed the whole thing because TJ had a YouTube channel under the name Bruce Wayne, and he liked to call himself Batman. And James, it's in episode one where Frank refers to TJ's life as a cruel social experiment, and I could not agree more. In this episode, what we're really going to be exploring are some key themes around youth incarceration in America. We're going to be exploring what does happen when a person who spent their entire life in maximum security prison is released with $25 million. What what do they get up to? What do they do? And the impact that the system and the way in which our justice system has been structured can actually impact not only the individuals that are arrested, but also the families and victims of the people involved. So, Ollie, I want to talk about this with you, this idea of the social experiment. (laughs) You put a kid who's 15 years old in jail, you release them 15 years later, you then give them $25 million to say, oh, we're sorry, we're sorry we stuffed up and you shouldn't have been in jail for that entire time. Here's 25 million bucks. What happens? What I found really interesting about this scenario was when TJ was first released from prison, he got himself a job, he married a nice young lady, he had a son, he by all accounts was living a very happy life. Mm -hmm. And then his lawyers on appeal were able to get him a payout from the state, FYI, the lawyers took half of that $25 million. That was their fee. That's a whole other story. <laughs> a whole other story. <laughs> TJ still had a huge amount of money, and I suppose he'd never really matured. So what did they expect him to do? To expect to give somebody who's been in prison for more than half their life to do something really good with that money is a fairly high expectation. Mm. And I think this also details for me the definition that you can be smart because – 
While in prison, TJ was said to have read copious amounts of books. Like he was reading books on philosophy, theology. He was reading books on Aristotle. He was doing very well articulated kind of individual. And all his writings and all his letters that he wrote to different lawyers, to different representative entities, he sounded like a very smart man. And being book smart necessarily doesn't make you street smart. And I feel as though you saw this person who, although could sound really articulate in the letter go out there and just waste money, essentially, to just throw it on things that most of us would think, think to be really wasteful because I didn't feel like he had that education. He was both wise and childish. Yeah, childish. To set up a YouTube account under the name Bruce Wayne and roll around town in his Hummer, in his Porsches, in his expensive cars, calling himself Batman, suggests that he's just <laughs> a kid. He might be really clever and really book smart, and very articulate. Did you watch any of his videos on YouTube? I only watched the one, the notorious one. Where he shoots Eric. Mm. And it's horrific. Yeah. It's for no reason. He's effing and blinding and using the M word and just being a little bit of a mongrel yeah. <laughs> around that's a Chicago. Great, that's a great word. He's been a mongrel, yeah. <laughs> and he shoots someone for no reason. It's all filmed. He gets put in prison for nine years. And this was just heartbreaking for his mom. Poor mm -hmm. Vicky. This podcast jumps back and forth. And we are talking about this idea that you give someone $25 million who's been in jail for much of, they've grown up in jail, essentially. What are they likely to do with it? And I don't think, I think it would be a very small percentage of people that would actually be able to take that money and turn it around and do something good with it. For me, it gives that same feeling as when someone wins the lotto and they're not really given any financial advice on how to actually invest that money or spend that money. They end up being bankrupt within a number of years. This is exactly what we saw with TJ. And TJ, in a way, was very similar to those lottery winners. Rather than investing it wisely, he spent money on other people. He mm -hmm. bought them cars, he gave them cash. Although this can make you really popular at the time, the wealth is going to run out. Mm -hmm. And he would sometimes go to the bank, draw out $10,000, and then just walk around the streets and give $100 notes to homeless people, of which I love that concept. Yeah. If you are running a business that generates that kind of money on a regular basis... Mm for you to be able to afford to do that long term. TJ burnt through this money in five years. That's mental. That and, is so mental. And when it was gone, he said, thank God, because that money was never mine. It almost felt like the money was dirty. Not even enough to equate to having kept him in jail unnecessarily for 15 years. Because this is a boy who was at home doing his homework in front of his grandparents and brothers and sisters when they arrested him. They're, they're saying that, a grandparent's word is very unreliable when it comes to being eyewitnesses for someone. Oh, I just felt so wronged for him. And yeah, you could empathize as to why someone might feel so dirty at the system, at the law, for robbing them of those 15 years and then saying, oh, here's some money to make you feel better about it. I also felt sorry for Larry Tufol, who was the friend of TJ, who was also 15, 16 years old at the time, who was put under so much pressure by the police to say that TJ had committed this murder. And then his life, in a way, was ruined because mm. it really ate away at him. Yep. And this is, again, another example of crooked police. This police officer... His name was Detective Jerome Bulgaki. He solved this case in one day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he went out. He went up to someone and going out there with an idea of who they wanted to pin this murder on. Because 
TJ had a history. He'd been gangbanging. He'd be running with the gangs and what they called the, what was it called? Oz? The Peewees. The Peewees. They had a Peewee league of gangbangers in this particular city. These were the up and comers, the 13 year olds, the 12 year olds that wanted to get into the SCRs. And because he had this track record, he decided that this was his target and he was going to make it happen no matter what. He first went out, interviewed two eyewitnesses. They gave him descriptions that did not include anything to do with TJ. Fast forward to 12 hours later in the day, and one of them at one in the morning while high is saying, yeah, it was TJ if you want it to be TJ. They used this as evidence to convict him. You only found out 15 years later when they started reinvestigating this case, all of the things that this detective had ignored, all of the things that this detective had decided to focus in on. It really gave him tunnel vision, if you will, that, that kind of confirmation bias. I've decided this is what, what it is, so that's what it's going to be. And James, I mentioned this to you last night, the fact that it almost seems with police that they pick somebody who they believe to be bad for society. Mm. And TJ was no angel. No, he wasn't. He had been arrested 22 times before. Mm -hmm. He was a bit of a menace. Can we say what he was arrested for, though? Sure. Carving his gang sign into the desk at his school. That was one of the things that he'd been arrested for. Having a verbal argument with a teacher. You know, these kind of things, which I think when you hear 22 arrests your mind immediately goes to things really bad. But I, I would consider these to be juvenile delinquent acts. And because there were so many young people wrongly incarcerated in the 1990s, I definitely feel as if the police had got into this practice of we've had a murder, we are under pressure to arrest somebody, let's just take a bit of a menace off the streets, pin it on him, and then our streets will be safer because TJ's behind bars. Mm. The problem with that is that's not justice. <laughs> that isn't the world that we live that in. That is not justice. <laughs> But it's not justice. And it makes me wonder, was there something greater influencing this? Which another key theme of this podcast goes into is trying to understand what was happening in the 1990s from a political perspective in the United States of America. Now, Ollie, set the scene. There were huge calls from the public mainly to be tougher on crime, particularly gang-related crime. Mm. And the way to do that was to introduce things like the three strikes law. So it doesn't matter what those three crimes were. If you get three arrests, you can be locked away for a very long time. And, and our listeners will remember that from Air Hustle when yeah. we spoke about it in episode one. Those jail terms were massive. They were life without parole in many cases. Mm. And juveniles were being locked up in adult detention centres. They were being tried as adults. And... This creates huge problems because 20, 30 years later, we have things like the Innocence Project. We have podcasts. Mm -hmm. We have people like Sarah Kane going out and saying, hold on, the police have put innocent people behind bars for crimes they did not commit. And it almost feels like the public were calling for this. Now, I, I'm not aware of the specific cases, but I do know that there were a lot of youth-related murders at the time and the judicial system being quite lenient on them so giving them sending them to juvenile jail as opposed to real jail and a lot of people were calling for these youth to be tried and tested as adults because they believe that if you're out there murdering someone intentionally that maybe you didn't deserve this and it seems as though tj was caught in the crossfire but we know from psychology james that 13 14 year old particularly male brain is mm. not developed enough exactly. to fully be able to distinguish between the consequences of their actions and therefore what's right and wrong, but then to charge them as if they are rational adults yeah. seems really ridiculous and incredibly unfair. And my very cynical brain looks 
at this like a money-making system. It almost seems as if you have the police who are obviously employed by the state to do a job to make arrests and put people in prison. You then have the state paying attorneys and prosecutors to either prosecute or defend these people. That's also the exchange of money. And then people are going to prison, which is in many ways a private enterprise. So that's the exchange of cash. Then later down the line, you have the appeal system, and that's also generating cash. And for me, there's so many parts of the American justice system, which is employing so many people needlessly. And until you get right to the end, of this line of corruption. Do you see people like the Innocence Project, where you have volunteers not exchanging money saying, we are the only people here who have a moral compass? The best interests of the people at heart. One thing we've got to think about is where does that money come from? It's us, the taxpayers. (laughs) Well, it comes to the taxpayers, right? We're all paying for this system to exist. And I'm not about stopping paying people to serve our country for the greater good if my money is being invested into things that serve the country and serve the nation but i feel like some of these systems aren't imagine if we invested that money in youth programs exactly and how to prevent people wanting to join a gang Mm. and something that really got on my wick james during this episode was when one of the prosecutors said where was your mother (laughs) while you were running around with these gangs and (laughs) To be fair, Vicky was working two jobs, trying to put food on the table. What annoyed me, though, is why isn't he asking, where is your father? Why is the mm. pressure on the mother to be the person who brings up a really upstanding member of society? One of the things I was, I was considering was maybe the prosecutor knew that the father wasn't on the scene. But that's not an excuse for being a poor father. Is, mm. well, he left. True. So yeah. he left, therefore he had no portion of responsibility in TJ's upbringing. I have to link back to something you said earlier, Ollie. You mentioned that their brains aren't developed fully, and yet we're trying them as adults. And one of the things in which they used to convict TJ was a letter that he'd written to his girlfriend. Now, in this letter, he was like puffing himself up, and he was talking about, you know what, I'm going to have to get that snitch seen to by the leaders of the gangs. And he's writing this to his girlfriend. He would have been 13 or 14 at the time. And they've used this to then prove to the jury why he should be convicted. What they failed to really identifying that letter though was underneath it he's like how cool my mum's gonna be bringing some games to the prison next week she's gonna be one of those basketball things that's got the suction cups for the wall and a and a game boy and you could hear a child there that was for me that was a kid you can't pick and choose what you decide to look at when looking at uh, when you decide to prosecute a 13 year old you need to take the whole thing into perspective and that's where i do definitely think that the system isn't set up to be fair and just Definitely. And I think TJ is an incredibly complex character. There is one stage where Frank is given access to some letters from a gentleman claiming to be Brian Nelson, also known as Mousy, who Mm. was incarcerated for 28 years. He was also a gang leader of the Simon City Royals. And he's writing these letters talking about how TJ is a really good guy. He's completely innocent. He should never have been incarcerated. Upstanding young man. Completely misunderstood. The twist in motive is when we meet Brian, who is now outside of prison, and he says he did not write those letters. And those letters were probably written by TJ himself. Well, he was very articulate. He was very well written. And this came through multiple times throughout the podcast. While in prison, as I mentioned, he was reading multiple books, always requesting for books to be sent to him, constantly looking to learn. And he started even asking for transcripts to be sent, didn't he, Ollie, to the prison so that he could 
start understanding cases similar to his, wonder if there's any reason for his case to be retried or for him to be it to be overturned. And yeah, it doesn't surprise me that he potentially did pen those letters mm-hmm. that spoke to his upstanding character from another inmate or member of the SCR. It reminded me of Snowball. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this imaginary solicitor writing letters about lawyer, how amazing. What was his name? Something Houdini. It wasn't only the police corruption, though, James, because you also learn about how the prisons were 20, 30, 40 years ago. Mm. And some of our listeners will be very familiar with the case of Richard Speck, who killed eight nurses whilst they were sleeping in their dorm. And then a video was leaked from inside the prison where this mass murderer is off his face on coke, doing lines of coke with another inmate and then being filmed having sex with this other inmate. And he says, if only people knew how much fun I was having in prison, they would never have locked me up. This caused huge outrage and Mm. people were just so shocked at what was going on inside of these prisons. And then there was a huge crackdown. I want to put it out there that maybe even not what was going on in prisons, but what was being allowed to go on in these prisons. Yeah. Because Richard Speck was an artist and he used to sell his paintings. That coke that they refer to him doing, they say that it cost somewhere in the region of $1,500 to acquire. Where did this prisoner get $1,500? Well, apparently he was selling his paintings. He had a cult following that existed outside of the prison that were basically funding his good time antics in jail. Most of the podcast takes you on a journey through lots of different political, police corruption. Judicial. Yeah, what it's like inside prisons and how it's changed over the years, gang culture and how that's changed over the years. Well, can I just say, it gives you an insight into prison and it will be no surprise then that it's actually brought to us by the Air Hustle team. It gives you this insight into all of these different things. And as I said at the beginning, I really wanted to talk about the impact that this kind of stuff can have on the families, both of the people incarcerated and of the victims as well. And I thought that Motive did a really good job in actually speaking to so many different members of the family of both TJ and people that he knew, but also the family of the victim and both victims, right? So you got to speak to the likes of Eric and his family members. You got to speak to TJ's ex-girlfriend. You got to speak to TJ's auntie, his mum, his brother-in-law. Frank did an awesome job speaking to all of these different people, getting a really fair perspective. Yeah, it was a really holistic view Mm. of how having somebody incarcerated wrongfully or even rightfully because... TJ was both at mm-hmm. two different stages of his life, has a huge impact on the wider circle of people around him, even to the point where Eric, the gentleman who he shot in the knee for no reason, is now suing TJ, who has no money anymore because he wasted it, which means that the mother of his children may now lose her house because Eric mm-hmm. has seven children and he can't work because he has a leg injury caused by TJ and he's trying to take the house off the mother of TJ's baby uh, and it's so... And it goes on and on and on, yeah. You're taken on a journey with this podcast from a 13-year-old trying to prove himself wanting to be in a gang all the way through to a 30-year-old with $25 million trying to basically set the world on fire and really sadly, without maybe even knowing it, trying to get himself back into the place that he felt most comfortable. And this is the stereotypical institutionalization when all they know is prison. They feel safe in prison. They understand the system in prison. And when they come out, 
life can be really confusing.、Mm. And TJ says, which was just heartbreaking for his mum, when he went back to prison after his long stint for shooting Eric in the knee, he says, "I'm home." That just speaks to the damage that has been done to this individual. That when they go back into prison, they feel like that's where they belong. And it just goes to show that money's not a band aid. Money's not going to、no, no, fix no. things if there are. Issues that have been created by a system that society allows to exist. We need to be looking at how to fix that because look, twenty-five million dollars didn't do it. That is a lot of money. That's one of the biggest payouts that we've ever seen in a court of law for an overturned case, like one of the biggest. And it's still not enough. Something. Else needs to happen. Then what else do we need to be doing to make sure that the same stuff doesn't happen? It's just not fair. It shouldn't be allowed to continue. And I think it paints a picture for America, obviously. But I feel exactly the same when I look at places like New Zealand. I look at the legal system over there, and it is designed to keep a certain demographic of people in jail. There are some troubling stats about the amount of people that are in jail. Firstly, if you think about comparatively the Maori population. To the white population, the am- amount of them in New Zealand are relatively small, but the amount of them in the prison system are over like seventy percent. Wow, it's mental. Yeah, this overwhelmingly large population of Maori people that are in the prisons, and one of the things that I've been thinking about recently is specifically, and it's not directly related to this podcast, but if you think about something as simple as marijuana, well, why did why is marijuana illegal? When did it become illegal? And the Green Leader of New Zealand actually released a fantastic video a couple of weeks ago, where she talked about tracing this back to JFK and the Vietnam War and the Black Civil Rights Movement. And yet, a time where, as the president, he was looking at a huge group of people that were forming some sort of an uprising. You had the big Black Civil Rights Movement with Martin Luther King. You had all of the hippies that were protesting the Vietnam War. And one thing that these two groups of people had in common was marijuana use. They like to smoke weed. They like to smoke weed. So, what better way to get rid of them and to shut them up than to than to criminalize something like marijuana、yeah. and put them all in jail? A great way,、Shut、a fantastic、up. way, and this is what we mean about how far back this corruption goes. It even goes back to why we have the laws that we have in place because it allows us to lock up a certain demographic of people. We could go on a huge tangent about this, James. I'm sure it just speaks to the fact that when you're trying to solve a problem like the wrongful incarceration of a 13 year old boy, throwing money at it doesn't fix it. James, we both loved season one of Motive,、mm. and I highly recommend that you go away and listen to the other two seasons of Motive because they are also really insightful and on completely different topics. But who would you recommend season one to, and why? Well, I feel like we've gone back to a podcast that has a really good story, and it's got character development, it's got twists and turns as you go through it. And season one of Motive, I would recommend to anyone who, while listening to the complete ten episodes, you get the full picture of exactly why someone like Thaddeus Jimenez is in jail. There is so much more to seeing a thirty-five-year-old in jail than meets the eye, and you've got to go right back to when he was even probably before thirteen to really understand the story. And this podcast brings that to life. Yeah. Who would you recommend this podcast to, Els? I think this podcast is really good for anybody who's interested in psychology, sociology, understanding human nature, understanding the things that really have power, such as the love of a family, the love of a mother, the struggles that people face on a regular basis. But some things just don't change,、mm. and family is a really strong theme throughout this podcast. And despite how upsetting some of the commentary is, it's also quite a heartwarming story in many ways as、mm. well. 
Well, it has been our pleasure sweating it out for you today in this little sauna-like cupboard that we've been in for the last nearly an hour. Oh, God. So, so I just want to say a massive thank you to Frank Main and the whole team at WBEZ for bringing this podcast together. You did a fantastic job and we can't wait for our listeners to hear it. Now, our listeners will know that Ollie doesn't just listen to one podcast a week. She listens to bloody heaps. In line with that, some of our listeners might be the same. We decided to set up a while ago Ollie's Corner. So each week, Ollie will be giving us an additional recommendation of something else she's listening to. And I'm curious to know, Ollie, what are you listening to this week? Well, not just this week, James. For a long time now, I've been listening to Adam Buxton, who is a British journalist. Mm -hmm. And he now makes a podcast where he conducts interviews with a really wide scope of people from different industries. Most of them are celebrities. And they're always really real. So he's mm -hmm. really honest. All his episodes start when he's walking his dog and he's out and about and you get to hear the sounds of wherever he is in the British countryside and then he will launch into interviewing the likes of Robbie Williams, Louis Theroux, Malcolm Gladwell, Billy Connolly, Jeff wow, Goldberg, so Darren Brown, Frank Skinner, Charlotte Church, Michael mm. Palin. Uh, the list goes on. He always has really fascinating guests. Yeah, and they're all very high profile. High profile and he manages to get them so comfortable that they are happy to talk about anything with him. Cool. I love it. It's a really insightful, interesting weekly podcast that I think if people love podcasts, they should be listening to Adam Buxton. Nice. And a real diverse, you're never hearing the same kind of topics. You're just hearing about people's perspectives on things. And... Completely different okay. topics every week because it's a different guest and Adam makes it all about the guest. Cool. I like that. So you're here to hear people. If you want to get involved in Ollie's Corner, make sure you download, listen to, and subscribe to the Adam Buxton podcast. Now, obviously, Ollie, that's what you're listening to additionally, but I'm a little bit selfish, so I want to know what you've got recommended for me. This week, James, we are going to be listening to Canary by The Washington Post. Ooh. This is hosted by Amy Britton. And there are only a few episodes. I know you are in the process of moving to Perth. Yeah, WA bound, WA bound. The next time we speak, you will be on the other side of the country. So I'm mindful to give you a nice, easy week. There are only seven episodes and they're about between 30 and 40 minutes each. You are appreciated, Oz. Thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> this is a story that I can best describe as an insight into the Me Too movement and how somebody speaking up can encourage other people to come forward. And you also get to hear a very insightful perspective from the accused in this podcast. Ah, so something very different to Harvey Catch and Kill. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Okay, well, for our listeners who are on the journey with me, this week we're downloading and listening to Canary by The Washington Post, and we'll be back here to review it on next week's show. If our listeners have enjoyed our review of Season 1 of Motive, please do give us a five-star review on whichever podcast app you're listening to us on. It really does help other people find us. Yeah, make sure you like, subscribe, and through whatever medium you're on, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or the likes, so that you get alerted when any of our new episodes drop. We love hearing from our listeners. Please feel free to send us an email at myfriendhasnever at gmail.com. Any thoughts, feedback, comments you have about season one of Motive or anything at all james and i recording podcasts in a steaming hot cupboard whatever <laughs> we're happy to respond please do get in touch we love hearing from you 
And as always, we're available on all of our socials. So if you want to send us a tweet, you want to drop into our DMs, or you want to send us a Facebook message, we're available on all platforms. Make sure you reach out to us and stay up to date with where we're at with My Friend Has Never Listened to a Podcast. What final thought have you got for us this week, James? I wanted to end today linking back to something that I mentioned in the podcast, which is a a firm belief of mine that I do not think that throwing money at our problems fixes them. I think money is a Band-Aid solution to to situations like we saw with Darius Humanes. $25 million even doesn't cut it. I genuinely believe that if we want to fix problems like this, we need to get to the root of the problem. That is investing in preventative ways to stop things like this happening. Nice. As always, a massive thank you to MJ from Multidesign for our theme music. All right, James. Let's get out of this sweat box and I'll talk to you when we open the door. I'll talk to you when we open the door. (laughs) 